We're trying to conduct a serious scientific investigation. Science, logic, reason. Do you have any hard data? Now, that's what I call science. Hello listeners, you are listening to That's What I Call Science, the weekly radio and podcast show that brings independent and interesting STEM, so that's science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine, to you from Tasmania. This show is supported by Edge Radio, Hobart's premium news station, so head on over to edge.org.au for more information about them. My name is Ollie Dove and I'm joined today by my co-host Ryan Smith and the Messiah of Fire as she's been referred to, Hannah. But before we begin, I would like to start by acknowledging the traditional owners of the land on which we're recording, the Palawa people. We're meeting here on Lutrita, and I would also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land from wherever you, our listener, are tuning in from. On behalf of everyone here today and those at home, I pay my respects to Elders past and present. So Ryan, can you please tell us a bit more about Hannah Moore? Certainly. Thanks, Ollie, for having me again. Um, So, Hannah, you're a volcanology student currently doing a PhD at UTAS. Um, You're originally from Scotland, but you've actually moved to Tasmania, which is a little bit weird, I have to say, given, to my knowledge, we don't actually have any volcanoes here. But you've been to lots of places that do have volcanoes, like Guatemala, Iceland, the Canary Islands, and most recently, New Zealand. So... Before we get into it, can you just tell me what does a volcanologist actually do aside from travel the globe to some pretty amazing places? Sure. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. The fieldwork is the best part of being a volcanologist. You get to roam free on volcanoes. Um, But yeah, once we've got all that data from the field, we take that back to the lab and we analyse it. That could be anything from measuring the gas that's coming out of the volcano to collecting rock samples from the volcano, taking that to the lab and looking at the density of the rock, you're looking at the textures in the rock, or you're looking at the composition. And that's what I'm that's what I do is I collect samples and I take them back to the lab and analyze bubbles, crystals, and all sorts of textures to understand eruptions in the past. So you're looking at older eruptions that have happened generally how long ago? I've studied a couple of different volcanic eruptions. But the one that I'm currently studying, is it last erupted 140 years ago, and that's the one that I am researching. But in the past, for example, for my master's, I actually studied a volcano that's currently erupting. It erupts every day, and that is a volcano in Guatemala called Volcán de Fuego. And every day it erupts, but occasionally it has a very big eruption. We call that a paroxysm. And what I was doing for my master's is collecting the material that had recently been erupted, It's not too dangerous because most of the eruptions are pretty small, but you want to be careful for sure. Um, So after there was a fairly large eruption in June 2018, I managed to collect some of those samples and take them back with me, which is really exciting. It's really cool to look at the more currently active volcanoes too, as well as the ones that have erupted hundreds of years ago. You're studying volcanoes that have quite recently erupted, um, such as the one in Guatemala that you mentioned, but you're also studying some older ones. So do you see a lot of difference between what you're looking at in the samples between those older ones and the newer ones? Yeah, actually old eruption deposits can look very, very similar to recent eruptive deposits, but 
actually, if they're like millions of years old, they can um, completely consolidate together. So for example, you might have what we call a pyroclastic deposit, and that's where you've got lots of fragments of rock that come out of a volcano. They typically land and they are loose. And so when you're looking at more recent eruption deposits, this stuff is really loose and you can just pick it up from the ground or just dig a hole into it. But after millions of years, and maybe after those deposits have been buried by other volcanic deposits or they've been through a bunch of different processes, they can actually become consolidated and all of that loose material becomes one solid piece of rock. In Ryan's introduction to you, Hannah, he mentioned that there weren't any volcanoes here that he knew of. But, spoiler for what we're going to be talking about in part three, Hannah, you and I were actually in a bit of a stage show earlier on in this year, and I've heard you mention that there's actually some volcanoes quite close to where we are here in Salamanca. So, do you want to tell us a bit about those ones? Yeah, this is true. Um, So, unfortunately, Tasmania doesn't have any active volcanoes, but we do have some ancient volcanoes, and... You're correct, we actually have some really close to us in Sandy Bay. So there is a pretty old volcano um, at what we call now is the Blinking Billy Point. And if you walk along Long Beach and just go a little bit further around the corner, there's another kind of pebbly beach. Many of these pebbles are actually rocks that have come out of the volcano pretty much on that beach. So there's a headland at the end of the beach. And when you look at the cliff at this headland, the actual volcano itself has been eroded away. So it's not the volcano shape that you would expect, but it is actually like the guts of the volcano. So it doesn't look super cool, but when you pick up the rocks on the beach, you can like recognize the different types of eruptive deposits. Um, And we we take our first years um, from the Earth Science Department down there for a field trip. And they get pretty excited about it. Like no one one usually thinks that we actually have volcanoes in Hobart. But in fact, we do. Yeah, I definitely wouldn't have had any idea unless I'd met you. So it's incredible to think that they're literally just down the road. But you've just been to another volcano over the water, I guess you can say, because it's our nearest country. So what were you up to in New Zealand? So I just spent six weeks in New Zealand and I was researching a volcano over there which is called Mount Tarawera and this volcano erupted about 140 years ago. So what I was doing was I was basically roaming the volcano for that full six weeks and I was what we call logging the deposit. So it's basically recording what we see in these deposits that have come out of the volcano and I was sampling So this type of volcano is really special, I think. It's a really exciting, uh, unique volcano. The reason for that is that the type of eruption that occurred is called a basaltic Plinian eruption. And these are extremely rare in the world, actually, but they're also potentially very dangerous, so it's really important for us to study them. Oh, awesome. When you're talking about logging deposits around the volcano, as someone who knows nothing about volcanoes... Would you get similar results across the whole volcano? Is it all deposited layer by layer continuously and equally across the volcano? Or do you find that you have to cover the entire volcano to understand it? So the deposits are not completely uniform around the volcano. It actually depends on a lot of different things. And the first thing is wind. So the wind really controls what the eruption deposits look like. And that is because when the eruption happens, you get a lot of fragmentation of the magma that is coming out. 
And this all goes up into a huge eruption plume. So it's a really big cloud of ash, gas, rock fragments. And this is really easily affected by the wind. So it will get dragged in the prevailing wind direction. The other thing that can affect the eruption deposits is the dynamics of the eruption itself. So for example, at the eruption I am studying, some of the magma interacted with groundwater. And this groundwater actually made the eruption more explosive. So what we got when this magma interacted with the groundwater is something called a surge. And this is where the eruption actually flows laterally. It doesn't go up into an eruption plume, it goes laterally. And this was pretty bad for the case of Mount Tarawera because there were some Maori villages on that side of the volcano that got completely wiped out by this surge. It's basically hot gas, ash, and there was actually a lot of mud in it. And that completely coats buildings. It can cause them to collapse. And about 120 people died from that eruption, but they think it could be more because there's not really any way of recording that information. So I've gone a little bit off topic, but the deposits can look really different. And that's why we have to go all around the volcano and dig holes, you know, roam the whole thing. Awesome. Thanks, Hannah, for that uh, introduction to part one. Stick with us, listeners, as we delve more into Hannah's work for part two. Check out That's What I Call Science to get a weekly fix of awesome science content from the island of Tasmania. Run by an amazing group of women, this science content is sure to keep you coming back for more. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts, so be sure to like and subscribe. You're listening to That's What I Call Science, and today we're talking all about volcanoes, My name's Ryan Smith, and I'm joined by our host, Ollie Dove, along with our expert guest, Hannah Moore, from the University of Tasmania. So, Hannah, as I mentioned in part one, you're originally from Scotland, but you've actually moved to Tasmania. So, what prompted that move? Okay, so I grew up in Scotland, and I was really enthusiastic about um, being out in nature. So, I went to university to study earth science, um, and that took me... Eventually, to volcanology, I was just fascinated by volcanoes and earthquakes. Um, but I found out that you can study volcanoes anywhere in the world. You don't have to be next to a volcano. So when I was searching for a PhD, I wasn't really thinking about the location. I was thinking about the project, and I was thinking about the supervisor. And believe it or not, in Tasmania, we have some amazing volcanologists. Uh, but you can live anywhere in the world and study volcanoes. So I researched my supervisor, and it turns out she's studied volcanoes all around the world. She's studied Hawaiian eruptions, um, Icelandic eruptions, all over the place. And so I really wanted to get involved in what she was doing, and I contacted her. I didn't really know what Tasmania was like, to be honest, but I was up for the adventure. So that's what brought me here. So we mentioned before Tarawera, if I said that right. Great pronunciation. Um, Thank you. Volcanoes like this often have a lot of cultural backgrounds. So initially when I thought volcanoes, Mount Vesuvius, do you think that all volcanoes kind of have that cultural awareness and should we actually be more aware of what's happening around us with those sorts of things? 
A hundred percent. So you do have to be very sensitive about these things when you're studying um, volcanoes that have like a strong history of cultures that live around these volcanoes. And the volcano might be very, very meaningful to these cultures. So especially the Maoris. Um, so the tribe that own the land um, where the volcano is, they love to know what we're up to what we're doing, what kind of research we're doing. And they love to tell us um, their stories about the volcano. Um, they have some absolutely beautiful stories. They also have um, a lot of their elders are buried on the volcano. So there's some sensitive areas on the volcano that they would prefer us not to be on and not to take pictures on. And we respect that. And it's good to know what they want to get out of the science that we're doing. For example, they've invited me to do a bit of um, outreach with them to talk to their local schools and I would be more than happy to do that because they've given me permission to be on this wonderful place um, that's very sacred to them so I'm really grateful to them. So Hannah you study the earth sciences aspect of volcanoes have you come across much work in the social sciences field sort of looking at the cultural implications of volcanoes on these communities? Yes, absolutely. So when I was in Guatemala, for example, um, I was working with a PhD student and that was her area of research was looking at the social side of volcanic eruptions. And so she was actually interviewing the Guatemalan people living around the volcano to see how they perceive the volcano and how they view it as a danger to their lives. So there's a lot of tension in Guatemala with the volcanoes and the monitoring and evacuation teams because evacuation teams have evacuated them when there is a heightened level of activity. But sometimes the volcanoes don't actually erupt. When we get a bit of heightened activity, we might get a bit of seismicity, a bit of shaking in the ground. We might get some kind of signal that suggests that the volcano is about to erupt, but it might be a false alarm. And so the people that live around the volcanoes in Guatemala don't 100% trust these agencies that are monitoring it because their livelihoods are on this volcano. They've got their farms, they've got their families, their houses they've lived in for generations. And when they leave and get evacuated, you know, it sets their lives back. They're missing out on the work that they're doing. So they don't like to be evacuated for no reason. So um, there's a lot of social issues to do with volcanoes, and that that's probably one of the main ones, is gaining the trust of people that actually live around the volcano. Awesome. You don't really think about that sort of aspect to what it would be like to living near a volcano. So of your PhD so far, have there been any findings that have stuck out? <laughs> yes, there have. So I study microtextures of the what we call pyroclasts that come out of the volcano. And so a lot of my work for the first part of my PhD involved this kind of lab work looking at textures, unfortunately, because I couldn't get yet to the mountain due to the pandemic. So I spent a lot of time looking under a microscope. Uh, we call it a scanning electron microscope. And I was looking at crystals and bubbles to try to understand this eruption better because basaltic plinian eruptions are pretty misunderstood still. And people don't really know exactly how they come to be and how they are so explosive. So I spent a lot of time looking at these textures and I noticed something unusual. And that is that all of the material I was looking at that was deposited very close to the volcano 
had an extremely different texture to any of the deposits that were further away from the volcano. So we had proximal to vent deposits and we had distal deposits that I was looking at. So this difference in texture was bizarre to me. And I basically came to the conclusion from looking at these textures that we can't trust the textures that are in the proximal environment because crystals and bubbles change when you have an extended period of heat and oxidation. So the textures basically usually freeze in the history of the ascent of the magma before it comes to the surface. This texture had been completely altered during and after the eruption due to oxidation and heat that it was exposed to. Whereas the stuff that gets erupted in the distal areas is completely fresh and it can tell us exactly what happened as it was rising. Turns out this magma rises extremely rapidly um, and that's one of the reasons why we can't actually predict these kinds of eruptions very well because there's no warning signs. So it's great to look at this distal stuff. It tells us a lot about the eruption but anything proximal I worked out it seems that the textures are no good. So that's actually, that's really important for future studies because I don't want people picking up proximal rocks and looking at their textures and making conclusions from them when we just can't trust those textures. Awesome. Stick with us, listeners, for part three as we delve more into Hannah's work as a science communicator. At That's What I Call Science, we love bringing engaging content to all sorts of audiences, and this includes youth. So if you're a teacher at a local school here in Tasmania and have students interested in science, technology, engineering, maths or medicine topics, then let us know and we can come into your school and get them on the radio talking about their favourite exciting scientific ideas. Welcome back, listeners, to That's What I Call Science. My name's Ryan Smith, and I'm joined by our host, Ollie Dove, and our special guest for today, Hannah Moore. So, Hannah, you were recently involved with the Festival of Bright Ideas, but I think, Ollie, you probably know a little bit more about that, given that you were also there. I was indeed, Ryan. So, Hannah and I have actually taken to the stage together. We are now actors, and we have done performance theatre. So the Festival of Bright Ideas is an annual festival here in Hobart that celebrates science and tech and helps to engage communities and school groups in what's happening locally. So, Hannah, I'll ask you more about it as well. But we were involved in displaying each other's PhD topics to the world. So you were a penguin for me, you had fake wings and you did it wonderfully and I got to pretend that I was tectonic plates for you and I also an ice volcano for Saturn. So what actually was the scholarship and how did you get involved in it? That was that was super fun being each other's props I must say, we had a good time. So the scholarship is called the STEM Stage Skills Scholarship which is a bit of a mouthful but we call it the SSSS. And so the Festival of Bright Ideas offered this scholarship to people who wanted to become emerging science communicators. And it turned out that all five of us are PhD students, but we all do different things. We talked about space, we talked about the human body, volcanoes and microbes. So it was a really lovely range of different sciences that we had in the show. How did it feel being able to have the opportunity 
to put your work out there to a public in a funny goofy kind of way yeah uh, it was awesome because I don't think many people in Tasmania know much about volcanoes. You might learn a little bit about it in school, but because we don't have volcanoes here, there's not much need to educate anyone about them. So I just absolutely love blowing people's minds with fun facts about volcanoes. And yeah, just telling them stuff that they've never thought about before. And I love answering questions and, you know, talking to kids who are just like, wow, volcanoes are just quite an incredible phenomenon to them because there are none here. I still think it's wild that we actually have a volcano down the road. Like, I've been to that beach. I've touched those rocks, and I would never have known there that that go. was There you go. You need volcano. to go back and have a look. I will. I will. So, what's next for you? Okay, well, I have about a year left, a year and a half of my PhD to go. So, I'm hoping to get my fieldwork out there published. And then, following that, I actually don't have too many plans, but I am pretty keen to stay in the area of volcanology and or science communication. And so, as I've said, there's options for me to go anywhere in the world, but I would personally love to go to New Zealand and study more New Zealand volcanoes. I find them just absolutely fascinating. There's such a huge range of diverse types of eruptions that have happened in New Zealand on such a small island. But do you know what? I don't really mind where I go because I just love traveling for volcanoes. Ollie mentioned volcanoes on Saturn. Maybe you could do that. Maybe I'll go to space. You never know. We often ask our zoology-based guests what would be their ideal species to study. Do you actually have an ideal volcano that you daydream about? Oh, there's so many volcanoes I would love to study. But one in particular is the recent eruption that happened in Iceland that is just it's really exciting because it's the newest volcano in the world this volcano was just born it's so fresh and there's so much to learn from it and Iceland is a particularly interesting place because the volcanic eruptions come from two different types of processes so we were talking about plate tectonics earlier so we've got spreading tectonic plates that are causing magma to rise up between them but we also have something called a mantle plume which is just a super hot plume of magma that is rising from the mantle up through the crust. And so we've got this combination of different processes causing a huge amount of uh, volcanic activity. And we still have a lot to learn from Iceland. There's lots to do there. So it's also a pretty cool place to be. So unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap up soon. But for our last and final question, if there was one fact about volcanoes that you would like to leave with our listeners what would it be okay so I just love this fact Um, volcanoes actually affect all of us and you may not even be aware of it one of the reasons why we have incredible farming in Tasmania is because of the volcanic soil we've got all this basaltic lava that erupted millions of years ago or hundreds of millions of years ago that broke down and gave us this fertile land so we're really lucky that we have volcanoes because that's how we get our fruits and vegetables um, and our produce. So it's an interesting thing to think about. Definitely a valuable fact to be aware of. So thank you very much for coming in today, Hannah. And listeners, spoiler, but you might be hearing again from Hannah in the future. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in today to That's What I Call Science. We love bringing you science-related content, and we really hope you enjoyed the show. If you loved the show, you can get in touch with us by searching That's What I Call Science or That's Science Talents on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. 
My name is Ollie Dove and I'd like to thank my co-host Ryan Smith as well as our expert guest Hannah Moore. So from all of us here, we hope you have an absolutely wonderful week. This programme was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. You've been listening to That's What I Call Science, brought to your station and across the nation via the Community Radio Network. You can find That's What I Call Science on all major podcast streaming services and social media platforms. Like and subscribe for on-demand science updates from the team. That's What I Call Science is proudly recorded in Tasmania at Edge Radio. Head to edgeradio.org.au for more information on how you can support community radio. Gemmaker are a proud sponsor of That's What I Call Science. Gemmaker provide expert advice, services and training to commercialise new knowledge and technologies. Go to gemmaker.com.au for more information. Want to know more about science, technology, engineering, maths and medicine? Then tune in to Edge Radio at 5pm on Sundays to hear That's What I Call Science. You can also find us on all of your favourite podcast streaming services. Be sure to like and subscribe us on any of our socials.